Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you put an area code 225 in front of there, and you can reach us from anywhere in the United States of America. That is very correct. There you go. <laughs> we are still giving away our free T-shirt for the well, longest distance caller. That's right. You go ahead and give us a call, and if you're calling from outside the Baton Rouge area, be sure to give the producer a place that you're calling from, and if that's proper english Pro- uh, probably not but hey, what does it matter <laughs> I, I, I just can't think of any other way to say it <laughs> yeah just let them know where you're located and whoever calls the furthest distance will get a agco t-shirt shipped out to you united you states go. parcel service there you go and it goes out monday morning first so, thing that's right always first thing because i do it on the weekend <laughs> when i get there monday it goes in the mail <laughs> all that's waiting on is the lady to come pick it up that's huh? a fact well, it could be a man oh, it could be most times lady though yeah we got a male lady <laughs> she does a very good job too that's right hey give us a call 499-9526 and of course we'll be glad to answer any questions you might have just in case something occurred to you during the week or just but we're not on the air. You just don't want to call in. Right. You can always get your questions answered on our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. Get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. Just use the form from mm-hmm. the website. That's right. And he'll get you an answer back to you in 24 hours. That's right. Or less. Oh, that's right. And a lot of times a lot less because many times I just happen to be on the computer and when it comes in, I may go and respond right then and there. But I do check my email many times during the day. Even when I'm working, I generally check it several times during the day. So generally you can get asked back pretty darn quick that way. We like to take those questions and put them on the website for everyone else to well, that's right. get the information. And also it gives me ideas of things that we're going to need detailed topics on and uh-huh. so on and so forth. In fact, the detailed topic that went on this morning is one of a two-part series, the newer style that I'm doing with a lot more do-it-yourself type information in them. Right. At one time, we were talking more about theoretical sort of things like all viscosity and cooling system and such. What I've done lately is put a number of them on there that have a lot more do-it-yourself type meat and potatoes in them. Uh-huh. This one is on how to diagnose a low brake pedal. And that is a call that I get a lot. It's also a, I get a ton of emails on that where the brake pedal is low. It may be that they've just done a brake service on it and the pedal's now low, or it may be the pedal has slowly been getting lower and lower and they want to know how to diagnose that problem. Right. And unfortunately, an awful lot of people go out and they buy this, they buy that, and they buy the other, put it all on there, and still, still have end a low up with brake a low brake pedal. pedal. Right. <laughs> or a lower brake pedal in many cases. <laughs> well, it's a hydraulic circuit, so it has to be free of any air mm-hmm. or contaminants of the hydraulic circuit. On the hydraulic side, side. And you have basically what they call hydraulic multiplication and or hydraulic advantage. And that is, and it goes into that in this article, when you have a small piston, such as a master cylinder piston, which is probably about an inch in diameter, Uh it's moving a caliper piston, which let's just say to make the math easy, two inches in diameter. Okay. Well, that piston is going to exert twice as much force on the larger piston, but it's only going to move half the distance. Correct. So... When you start to put two calipers on there, now you've doubled the issue. If you put a three-inch caliper on there, you're actually nine times the size of this piston. So the movement on that caliper has to be very, very, very minute. I mean thousandths of an inch. If it's moving an eighth of an inch, you're going to have no pedal at all. Exactly. Same thing with rear wheel cylinders. Because of the size differential and the 
hydraulic advantage. There's also mechanical advantage, whereas your brake pedal is a class two lever uh-huh. and it's a three to one at least advantage there to give you more force when you apply the brakes. But each of these things eats up pedal travel. Correct. So things like adjustment on the rear brakes, the shoe to drum clearance cannot exceed 15 thousandths of an inch, uh-huh. which is a very, very small amount. Yes, it is. When it starts to get greater then the travel of these components actually will eat up all of your brake pedal. And people don't seem to think about a lot of that kinds of stuff. This article goes in depth. The first part is on that sort of thing, understanding how hydraulics work, understanding how mechanical advantage works. The second one is more on actually diagnosing the problem. It goes into how to block off components in the system to diagnose where the problem is. Right. You know, things like, for instance, a bad wheel bearing can actually give you a low brake pedal. Sure it can. A lot of people don't realize that. You see that? We see it quite regular. Well, yeah, if that bearing moves, then the rotor moves, which pushes the pistons back into the caliper, which gives you a low brake pedal. Right. It increases the distance the piston has to travel to bring the shoe, the pad back out right. to meet the rotor. And that's only one of just a pile of things that can cause it. So real good article, and it's one of many, 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 many. Correct. And you get a lot of real good information there. Another thing is, of course, our reminder service that we added a couple of weeks ago, and that's where you can go in and put service reminders to yourself. For instance, if you want to remember to get an annual inspection on your car every year at a certain time, then you can go in and post that, and it will either send you an email or text or both, as you Whichever you request. In your own words, you just tell it what you want to tell you, tell it the date you want to get it. Uh Uh-huh. You can also put it down to remind you to listen to Automotive Hour every Saturday morning. Hey, that's a good idea. There you go. Hey, you haven't come on Friday <laughs> evening say tomorrow morning, get up and listen to Automotive Hour. That's right. But you can put any kind of reminder you want. In fact, I put one in there where I send Elaine a little text message every morning. Kind of oh. makes her day. Oh. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's sweet. That's got, sweet. got some brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can do all sorts of things like that. Now, you do have to register on the site to use that feature. Uh-huh, because which it, is a, a free service. It's free. Very, very easy. You just You go in and type in your email address. Uh and you type in a password and then it's going to send an email to you to verify that yes you do own this you tell it yes i do and that's it you're registered that's it in fact probably next week we're going to have it even easier than that because we're putting a script in that will allow you to log in with your facebook google yahoo aol or windows live password wow so you just click the icon use that password you don't have to make up another password anymore great and it'll automatically log on our site so just easy, couldn't be any easier. And should you happen Unless not to come over to your house, do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> should you happen not to want to do it anymore? Well, that's right. You can always unsubscribe, and you're not going to get any junk email or any of that. You can check off and tell it if you want to get a newsletter or not. Uh-huh. If you do and you get it and you say, hey, I don't like getting this, just at the bottom of every newsletter is a little unsubscribe button. You hit that, and bam, you won't get that anymore either. That's the last you so, hear from it. That's right. But really good site. Pop on there, see what you think. www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to go to our phone lines. We've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. How you doing, Luke? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have an 04 town car. Okay. I had the code full a while ago, P01253, something to do with fuel pump circuit. And, uh, recent, yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular code, P01253. Yeah, and I recently changed the fuel filter on the car, and I think... Yeah, that, that, no, that's not going to affect that, Terry. Fuel filter would not set a code like that. I mean, it's just no way it could do it. More likely, it's just a coincidence. Most of the time, fuel management type codes like that on a Ford product are going to be one of about three or four different things. The first most common thing is a dirty airflow meter. 
particularly if you use an aftermarket air filter on the car and they don't filter the air properly, they let too much dirt go through. And if you got one of these air filters, don't put any names out, but in, that uses oil on the filter, supposed to give you better gas mileage and all that, that's a definite no-no. The oil will get on an airflow meter and make dirt stick to it, and the airflow meter will start reading improperly, which will screw all the fuel-air mixture up. Now, many times an airflow meter can be cleaned. Ford says it can't be, but again, they're in the business of selling $400 airflow meters, so they're going to tell you they can't be. We've cleaned hundreds of them with very few problems. Occasionally, it just doesn't work, and you got to buy a new one anyway, but I would start out with that. If that's not it, the second most common thing is a vacuum leak of any sort, and on that particular car, what they call the PCV harness, it's kind of a complex series of plastic tubes and rubber elbows that hooks to the PCV valve. Those rubber elbows are bad about getting old, and they'll kind of suck in and get a hole in them, and they'll let too, too much air in relation to the fuel get into it. That's pretty common. The last thing would be something like an oxygen sensor reading improperly, and that's gonna, you know, anything that affects fuel air management is going to set that kind of a code. Okay. Well, All I right. appreciate it. I'll check that uh, vacuum leak. Okay, Terry. Thank you very much. Good luck much. to you, man. Bye-bye. Hi, 499-9526 is a number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Fire, we would love to have you. That's a good question, and I'm glad to see Terry calls in for some advice. Sure. Rather than what so many folks do, they go to a parts store, oh, we'll run the codes for you for free. Well, you know, nothing's ever free, and there's right. a good reason they do that, because they're going to say, oh, what do you think it is? Well, maybe it's an airflow meter. Okay, Let's, give me here. one of those. Well, what they do is they're going to sell you a piece of junk, rebuilt, aftermarket airflow meter. It's probably not as good as the one you're taking off. And the one you're taking off has to go back for a core. So it's gone. So you're, you're losing it. Right. Now you do have an airflow code that you didn't have before because right. this thing don't even work out the box. You know, blew about 300 bucks on a piece of junk, and you still got the code. Correct. So when you bring it in, not only does the shop have to diagnose the original code, they got to diagnose this bad airflow meter, and you got to go through all the gyrations with that. Right, which is more time means more money. Well, yeah, and it, just how much easier it is just to consult with someone. And, of course, the best thing is to bring it somewhere to a professional, have them diagnose a real problem. But at very least, go ahead and send me an email, go on the website, and get some kind of guidance before you start throwing parts at this thing. Because sure. I will absolutely guarantee you I have seen it a thousand times. You're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. Oh, definitely. There's way more guesses than the average person has money. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Especially when you start talking two, 300 bucks a guess and maybe making things worse and creating more problems. Yep. So, And it could be something setting the code like you were saying, doesn't even have anything to do well, with a part. It could be a wire. It could be a driver. It so could, totally you know, it, obscure and separate from anything you would think it'd be because those codes, man, just all anything is a, can set them. All that is is a starting point. Yeah, not even that. The, that the just guidance. tells you what the computer inferred might have been wrong, but you can get an airflow code from something like an exhaust leak. Oh, definitely. You know, exhaust leak in front of the oxygen sensor. Yeah, now it's, it's screwing with the oxygen sensor, so it sets an airflow code. Well, you go throw a four hundred dollar airflow meter on it. Well, we did if the, you buy a good one. Right, we did the same thing. We took a Chevrolet and a Toyota. Right, caused the same problem in both on vehicles. Both got two different, two different, different codes. codes. Yeah, exactly. Totally different codes, and on two different Chevrolets, you may do the same thing. Exactly. So anyway, just get a little advice before you just jump off and and start spending money. We're going back to our phone lines. We got Molly on the line. Good morning, Molly. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing great, ma'am. Doing great. I know nothing about cars, but I listen to y'all every Saturday. Well, thank Love you. Show. And I'm calling because I have a 2006 Lincoln Zephyr. Uh-huh. And the check engine light has come on, and I had someone 
give me the code? Yes, ma'am. And everything, and it's P zero zero two two camshaft position sensor mm-hmm. something. But the, and I don't know what any of that means. But the problem I've noticed is when I'm driving mm-hmm. and I push the accelerator, mm-hmm. I'm hearing a a different noise. Okay. And when as soon as I let off the accelerator, it's not there. Yes, ma'am. It's not affecting the driving, but I don't know what the problem could be. Just wondering if you had any clue. Well, there's a number of things that can set mm-hmm. that, Molly. What a camshaft position sensor is, is a sensor that reads the speed that the camshaft is turning. And the reason it wants to know that is because when it fires the ignition and fires the injectors, it has to be timed to the valves, mm-hmm. which are controlled by the cam. So basically, it's a device that keeps everything on the engine in time. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a number of things that can set that code. Obviously, a bad camshaft sensor can do it. However, a bad crankshaft sensor can set a bad camshaft code mm-hmm. because the two are trying to sync to each other. And right. if that sensor doesn't see the other sensor, then it can set that code. Other things that could cause it, something like the timing chain, particularly on that little motor, it's kind of a weird setup. They didn't use a keyway on the crankshaft pulley. What they use is a diamond washer and a big old bolt that holds it together. Mm-hmm. And under certain conditions, that can slip and get out of cam timing. And what it does is go throw that code. So what you're going to have to do is get to someone who knows what they're doing and have them diagnose that problem for you. The last thing in the world you want to do is just go throw a sensor on it because right. the odds are you'll put a sensor on, you'll still have the same code, and you just wasted your money on that, and you still got to fix the problem. Now, the noise on acceleration concerns me some because if the cam timing is off, it may start to what they call detonate, and that is the fuel-air mixture is exploding before the piston reaches the top dead center. It'll be almost like a little rattle or ping when you're accelerating, almost like yeah, it's a rattle. Yeah, the... if you know what cheap gas sounds like when you put mm-hmm. cheap, if it was that kind of a noise, that's real damaging to the car. So that needs right. to get addressed pretty quick. And like I said, if it was out of time, it could cause that engine to start detonating, and that can burn big holes in the tops of pistons and stuff, mm-hmm. and end up with a new motor. So could be something relatively small right now that could turn into something real big. Tell you what, dude, go on my website, Molly, and not the, the last article, but the next last is how to save money on check engine lights. And it goes mm-hmm. into an explanation of how they work and why they come and go and all that sort of thing. Okay. Read that, and that's going to put you way, way ahead of the game when you start trying to get it fixed. Great. And my next question real quick is, mm-hmm. do I need to just call, like, Monday and make an appointment, or should I just bring the car in? Is it better, of course, to make an appointment? Molly... Our appointments right now are booked up way in the future, okay. uh, almost two weeks. If you call Elaine, she can set you up an appointment. If you can be without the car for a while, what some people do is bring in, just leave it with us. We work it in between jobs because okay. a lot of times during the week we get time, we just don't know what we're going to have. And whatever sure. is there, we work in. So whichever works better for you, we can do it okay. either way. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, Molly. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. John, you hang in there. You'll be straight up after the break. Take the highway. That's the best. I get you. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes, and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. 
Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we're going back to our phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got a 04 Ford Ranger with 86,000 miles on it. Okay. The guy I bought it from has been using synthetic 5W30. Okay. And I like using the uh, manufacturer specifications. And I hear this is kind of an age-old question, but mm-hmm. uh, do you recommend going back to a natural oil after a synthetic has been used? It's not going to hurt anything at all. Synthetic and natural, well, I don't want to give you a whole history lesson on chemicals and all that kind of stuff. However, what they call synthetic oil in the United States is not necessarily even synthetic oil. It's just an oil that meets a certain grade of specifications. And I don't agree with that personally, but there was a big lawsuit where Castrol was making a product that was made out of Group 4 base stock petroleum and labeling it as synthetic. Mobile One, which is a pure PAO-type synthetic, actually brought them to court, sued them and said, hey, this isn't synthetic. And what the judge found was that the word synthetic as a marketing term has nothing to do with the chemistry of what it's made out of, just as long as it meets those specs, you can call it that. So they found and both of them were not synthetic. The Well, the mobile one is what I would call synthetic oil, and the judge says, hey, that one's synthetic too. It don't matter if it's made out of oil or made out of alcohol or made out of anything. It's not what it's made out of. It's what it can do. But to answer the question, the two are compatible. It's not going to hurt anything. Now, what I would recommend to you, John, is whatever brand of oil, and it doesn't matter what brand it is, but I would stay with the same brand's product. In other words, if he's using mobile one, I would stay with a mobile or Exxon regular oil, if you're using Castrol, Valvoline, whatever it is, I would stay with the same company's brand. The reason being, almost any oil is good, but the additive packages are not all compatible. And when you start going from manufacturer to manufacturer, you can end up with small consumption problems. So even though the Ford recommends Motocraft, if he'd been using a different brand? I would stay with the brand that they were using. Now, the Motocraft product that Ford sells in this area comes out of the Exxon refinery. They make that right over there in Port Allen. Oh, okay. It's made to Ford specifications, but it's, it's made by that refinery. I actually know people that work in there, and they say they roll them cases out all day long. What happens with oil is they give it a specification. We want this, 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 this. It's a big cocktail. And mm-hmm. anybody can pretty much make it as long as they make it to that. It's kind of like making a cake. Put certain things in there, you end up with angel food cake. You put other things in there, you end up with a devil's food cake. So right. as long as you make it to their specifications, you got that product. It really doesn't matter who makes it. But... I would try to stay with whatever brand manufacturer, and again, I don't know what brand he was using before, but if he's using, say, Valvoline, I would stay with the Valvoline conventional product. If he's using Castrol, if he's using Exxon, if he's using Mobile, whatever it is, I think you would be better off to stay with that brand of the regular product. All right. All righty. Thanks a lot. Okay, John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. We're going back to the line with Yogi. Good morning, Yogi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thank you for Uh, calling. 
On Memorial Day weekend, while I was driving to New Orleans, I noticed that my car is overheating while it comes to an idle. Mm-hmm. It didn't overheat while I was driving. Okay. It used to overheat when it used to come idle. Yes, then sir. I drove back, and next day I took to the mechanic. He mm-hmm. did a pressure testing. He said he didn't find any leak, but he said it could be the radiator cap. So well, he the radiator cap. Yeah, I kind of doubt that, Yoki. That would more overheat at speed than at an idle. Let me ask you, what kind of car is it? It's a 98 Honda Accord, and uh, what happened was he changed radiator cap, but then after three, four days, again, it overheated. Right, at an so idle again? I, yeah. Was, was so, still? yeah. Yeah, so I again took it back. He changed the heater hose. He said the heater hose was ruptured. So he changed the heater hose, but again, after three, four, da- three, four days, it again, ho- uh, the radiator itself busted. So he had to change the radiator after three, four days. Then after again, three, four days, it again overheated while at idle. So I took it back, and this time he changed the radiator fan. There you go. <laughs> yeah, got it. But the thing is... Even a blind hog will find an acorn every once in a while, I guess. <laughs> but the thing is, after three, after they changed the radiator mm-hmm. fan, yep. again, after three, four days, it overheated. Yeah, but so it's probably overheating. Like, now it's probably overheating when you're driving it and not an idle. No, no. It was overheating while, while it was an idle. Okay. So this time I decided to change the mechanic, and I took it to another mechanic, uh-huh. and he said he found the water pump was leaked. So still, that's changed. yeah, but that's not going to make it overheat and uh-huh. idle, Yoki. What you got, you you've got an airflow issue. In other words, if it overheats when you're sitting still mm-hmm. and cools back down when you drive, you can mm-hmm. forget everything in the cooling system. You can forget the thermostat, you can forget the radiator, you can forget the heater hoses, the radiator cap, all that. None of that can do that. The oh. only thing that's going to make it overheat and idle and cool down when you drive is the fan or airflow type issue. Airflow. Now. If the fan was bad, that caused the car to overheat many times. Now, as it overheats and builds pressure, it may have damaged all these other parts. You're treating symptoms now. So mm-hmm. there's no telling where you're at at this point because the car has been overheated five or six times. Yes. You could even have a blown head gasket now from all this overheating. You right. see, cars just don't like to overheat at all, and particularly not Hondas because they've got an aluminum cylinder head. So you could have started out with a cooling fan, and because the wrong guy got a hold of it and didn't fix it to start with, Continued mm-hmm. driving, continued overheating may have created all sorts of problems. For instance, mm-hmm. let's say you got a blown head gasket. Well, what that's going to do is go over pressure the system, which could blow the heater hose out. Then when you fix the heater hose, it could blow the radiator out. Then when you fix the radiator, it's going to blow the water pump out. It's just going to blow the weakest It's going to keep blowing the weakest link in the system. So okay. what you need to do is get this car away from all these jug heads, bring it to somebody who knows what they're doing, and have them run a hydrocarbon test on the car. See if you got a blown head gasket. If you do, there's no sense going on until you fix that. Now, that was not the original problem, but that may oh. have been a result of the original problem. Okay. Uh, I mean, to do this testing, can I bring it to your shop? Uh, yes, sir. We can do that. just need to call Lane and make an appointment, but almost any good shop should be able to do that. Yoki, go on my website and just mm-hmm. type in the word overheat or head gasket on the search bar, and there's a real nice article in there about what happens when a car overheats. Read that, oh. and it's going to give you a much better understanding of the entire process. Okay, head gasket. Yeah, I, that's just a guess at this point, but that's from what you're telling me. That sure sounds like what you got going on. Okay, then I'll do that. Okay, Yogi. Thank you very much. Good luck much. to you, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? I'm putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? 
Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. You join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. The last call kind of brings to mind what happens. A lot of people are very, very reluctant to bring their car to the shop. Exactly. And that's one reason they drive them around broke. That's one reason they try to fix them themselves. That's one reason why I do all the things they do. And it's because of the level of people out there in some cases that are fixing cars. And obviously this is not the majority of people out there, but there are folks out there who hang a shingle out and say they're in the car repair business and nobody regulates them other than buying an occupational business license, but there's no test of competency. There's nothing they have to say. So no certificates they have to have. You have to be very, 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 very careful when you get your car fixed as to who's doing it because there is zero regulation in this industry. A perfect example of that was earlier this week, a gentleman called me and he said, I've got a Toyota 4Runner, and I'm being told that the transmission is out in it. Uh-huh. And I said, wow, how many miles you got? 80,000. Like, That's very unusual for a Toyota. Bruh, you know, in the last 40 years, I think we put two Toyota transmissions in. Right. You the same transmission using a Jeep and everything else because they wanted something tough. What's going on? He said, well, I got a code, and it doesn't want to shift, and it's making a whining noise. Okay, well, that all sounds bad, but I sure wouldn't jump to the conclusion that you need a transmission. You know? Right. So anyway, he brings his car in. We check it. The first thing that we notice when you jack it up is that the speed sensor is unplugged. Well, that's okay, your code. that's going to set a code. That's your code, and that's also one reason it's not shifting. Right. The next thing we do is we do a pressure test, and the pressure is just all screwed up, and the fluid is actually bubbling up out the top of the dipstick, so the fluid's aerated. Uh-huh. Okay, so why would fluid be aerated? So we drop the pan. There's a small amount of metal, but not a huge amount in the pan, not enough to signify failure or anything. Drop the filter, and whoever serviced it last cut the seal on the filter. Right, there's actually an O-ring that seals right. that filter to the bottom of the valve body, right. and well, it had a cut in it. It's cut. And what because it was- they, instead of laying it in the groove where it goes, they laid it across the groove. When it tightened up, it cut the O-ring. Correct. Well, now it's sucking air in around the filter, which is a whining noise. Uh-huh. It's not getting the right pressure, which is not shifting. And it left the speed sensor unplugged, which is check engine light. There you go. Of course, it told him he needs a new transmission. Well, so and he'd have bought a new transmission. Well, if he was pretty close, except that his buddy said, look, you need to take that thing to Agco. There you go. So anyway, I guess the moral of the story is rather than coughing up five grand, he's going to spend about 250 with the service and everything else. Mm-hmm. 
and he's got a transmission that'll probably last another 250,000 miles, as opposed to, I don't know what kind of transmission they're going to put in there. <laughs> there. There is no telling what they were going to put in it. No telling whatsoever. But, if anything at all. Well, they might you have know? found a seal painted pan. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I've seen it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just bad, well, terrible and, to and, say. And really but, and truly, he'd probably be better off. At least he didn't screw it up. Yeah. You know, at least he's got, still got a Toyota transmission. <laughs> he's just in, out, out he, four grand. Yeah, right? he's just out a bunch of money, but at least he's got a decent transmission now. You know? Right. But that's the kind of stuff that can occur. Sure. And it's just... I don't know that the shop was trying to deceive him. I think they just didn't know what the that, heck they were doing. They, that's very They possible. heard a whining noise. It wasn't shifting. It had a code or two in there. It was there some sonoid codes. Hey, it needs a new transmission. Got to be a transmission. Yeah. We don't know We don't know what it is, and we don't know what that is, so that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just a little warning for the wise out there. Correct. We're going back to our phone lines with CL. Good morning, CL. Good morning, Mr. Lewis. Yes, How sir. How are you? Doing great, sir. Mr. Lewis, I have an RX. 300, uh-huh. 2002. Okay. Check engine light came on on my bride okay. yesterday. Okay. Also, the track off. Yeah, uh-huh. well, that's automatic on that one, CL, because on a Toyota or a Lexus, when it sets a check engine light, it's going to kick the track light on because the trash control can't communicate with the PCM anymore. Well, also one of those, it's the VCL or one of the other three digit lights. Vehicle skid control, yes, that's all, that's all tied together. Right. VSC, vehicle so skid control. So it's going to be okay to drive for a little bit at least yes. to get it to a repair shop. Absolutely, yes, sir. What Toyota does, in my opinion, which is pretty wise, they throw a whole bunch of lights on just to get your attention. Okay. But you see, when you get an active code stored in the PCM, then it can no longer communicate with the skid control and all that. So those are going to also generate a code because it can't communicate because of the active code in memory. All so right. it tends to get people's attention, which is good, because the more you drive it, the worse it is. But, yeah, as long as you get that, get it in, get it checked, find out what it is, that could be a relatively minor problem. A lot of the problems we see on Toyota revolve around one of about four different things. One is an oxygen sensor, which is pretty common to any car at higher mileage. Another is the evaporative emission system usually gives a few problems when you get up oh, well over 100,000 miles. There's a charcoal canister that can give some problems. Another is the catalytic converters can go bad at higher mileage. And, you know, people say, well, Toyota has a lot of trouble. Well, no, they don't. It's just those cars last for 150,000 miles. The other ones don't. You know, Chevrolet being a junkyard wouldn't have those codes set. <laughs> <laughs> All but right. it's generally going to be one of those things. And Is uh, there any way that a noisy air conditioning compressor could cause the check engine light to come on? It can. If the belt is slipping on the AC compressor, it can actually kick a check engine light because it is looking at the crankshaft speed and it is looking at the rotational speed of the compressor. If the two don't match, it could either set a check engine light or it could set the air conditioning light, depending on which one it has and disarm the compressor until you cycle ignition, and it'll come yes, back. Sir. Yes, sir. So I, try, I tried that blind hog test. I went yeah. looking all over the place yeah. trying to find that acre. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you for your very, very informative. Well, thank you, sir. You do a nice job. Thank you, sir. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Huh? I four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Just go ahead and give us a call. And, you know, check engine lights, check virtually – everything on the car nowadays right there are roughly two thousand things that that check engine light is checking and when cars start to get a little older a lot of people say well man that light just keeps coming on i keep having the same problem well no you have a different problem it's not the same problem well it could be the same problem it's not getting fixed right but what's important anytime you have a check engine light 
is to bring it to someone who knows how to diagnose the problem, have the problem fixed, and be absolutely sure. And, of course, if you bring it to somebody who's small enough to diagnose it, they're going to do this anyway. Make absolutely sure whatever codes they are addressing are written on that invoice. Right, not just fixed code. Yeah, fixed code. <laughs> or or <laughs> change, change auction sensor, change right. airflow meter. You don't want to know that. What you want to know is what was the code that was set. That was set, and it should be, it'll be codes that set check engine lights will generally start with the letter P, as in Paul. And then they'll have four numbers after that, uh-huh. ranging depending on what system is affected. For instance, a P04 series code is going to have to do with the catalytic converter or something like that, 420. The three code. Uh, three, three code, code is P03 is going to be a misfire. misfire. And P0700 is going to be transmission related. So uh-huh. by the numbers, you know the system causing the problem. What is important is that the codes are listed out on the invoice so that if you have a recurring problem, you can go back and you can see if you got the same problem or a different problem. Right. And also what they did to address each code should be itemized out on there. And when you go to a shop capable of diagnosing the car, then you're not going to have to ask about all that stuff because that's going to all be done anyway because that's all part and parcel of doing the job right to start with. Exactly. Generally, when you don't see those kinds of pieces of information listed on the invoice, Probably yeah. the guy couldn't diagnose the problem anyway. Yeah, you're probably in the wrong place. Yeah, that's a fact. Let's go back to our phone lines with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. I sure enjoy your shows. Well, and, thank uh, you. You guys have worked on our cars in the past, and we appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, we've got a kind of a keeper car at the house. It's a 2000 Mercury, which is a real tank. Mm-hmm. And we love it because you can easily fit two car seats in the back seat and carry grandchildren that's around. That's right. I have a question about that. And then I have a second question, okay. a follow-up question. It's totally unrelated. The first mm-hmm. one is the air conditioning blows like mad, but it's just not blowing real cool anymore. Yes. And it, mm-hmm. The car's got 90,000 miles mm-hmm. on it. My question is, how would you diagnose that? And uh, what would you think might, might be some of the indicators that it would indicate? I mean, is it just a shot of gas? I'm not sure what happens now. But Well, that is certainly one possibility, Dan. And mm-hmm. if you go on my website, I have a series of four articles that are on nothing but air conditioning, diagnosing air conditioning problems, and so on and so forth, which you could read up on those, and you're going to know more than 90% of people in Baton Rouge about air conditioning. But to start with, a low charge could certainly cause that problem. The worst thing in the world you can do is just get somebody to squirt some gas in it. Give you just a little bit of a horror story. Guy came in a little earlier this week with a Chevy Avalanche, and he said, my AC wasn't cooling very well, so I had someone charge it, and now it's not cooling at all. Well, the first thing I noticed when he brought it in is the front seal and the compressor is blown out. Mm-hmm. Because what they did is they overcharged it and it blew the front seal out, which cost him a compressor. Now, the original problem was a cycling switch that was bad, which was about $40. It took about 15 minutes to change. Wow. But by overcharging it, he ruined the compressor. And luckily, he got it in quick enough to where the compressor hadn't come apart and contaminated the system. And as it is, it ended up costing him almost $1,000 to fix a $50 problem, but it could have went to $2,000 if he'd let that compressor come apart. So never, ever, ever just put more refrigerant in it. That system he had only holds a pound and a half of gas. So when you dump another 12 ounces, you're 50% overcharged. Right. And it's just real small systems. Now, to go back to your original question, what we need to do on that Dan, is to get it in, there's a couple of tests that we run, thermal tests. We can check the temperature of the condenser. We can check the temperature of the evaporator. There's formulas you can use based on the humidity and all that, tell you if the unit's working right or not. From there, the next thing they would do is evacuate the system, measure the amount of charge that's in it. Now, if it's low on charge, we know we got a leak. 
So we, if it's got dye in it, you go over it with a black light, find the, the leak. If it doesn't, then you charge it up and go back and find the leak, repair right. the leak, recharge it, and you're up to snuff again. Right. Very simple. And you said it's a Merkur. Is it like a Crown Vic? I mean, a Grand Marquis? Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a tank. Okay, it's those a are pretty tank. robust. We don't see a lot of air conditioning problems with those. So it could be something relatively minor. Some of the charge ports will start leaking in time. You could have a hose that's just dry rotted and start to right. leak. So the point is you have to figure out what the problem is and then address the problem without causing other places. Kind of like the, the Hippocratic Oath, you know, do no harm. Exactly. So that's the big uh, well, thing. Well, we'll get an appointment and get it over there. Okay, sure. sounds great. The second question is about, I know you don't endorse makes, models, or anything like that, mm -hmm. but if you were to advise a couple that's going into retirement now mm -hmm. that wanted to buy a retirement car that might outlive them, mm -hmm. what are the types of cars that you see the least of? Well, what features you look? You you want like a luxury car? You want something sportier? You want just a good gas no, model? I want car? a good solid four door sedan automobile, the kind I grew up with and the kind I drive right now. Nothing sporty, nothing fine, just yeah, solid, reliable, and Dan, I would have to look safe. at either the Toyota or Honda or Lexus or Acura products if it were mm -hmm. me. Reason being, the state of the domestic cars, as far as I'm concerned, is just abysmal. I mean. We are seeing more major problems at low mileage than I've ever seen in my entire career, which is 40 years, on the new stuff. And it's because they got so many gadgets and gizmos when it all starts breaking, and it starts breaking a lot. I've got a 2009 Cadillac Esplanade in the shop right now. We're putting an engine in, 109,000 miles, and, and, and the engine's knocking. And this thing has not been neglected. It's just pitiful. I would not personally even consider any of the big three. Well, at all. I well the little three now. Yeah, the not so big three <laughs> anymore. Yeah. But Toyota builds a good product. I wouldn't say they're quite as good as they were at one time when they were just legendary, but it's still the best game in town, my opinion. Lexus is a good product, although it's got more bells and whistles, more stuff to break. Same thing with Honda and Acura. But if you look at like an Avalon, something like those along those lines, you want something mm -hmm. a little bigger, maybe one of the SUVs like a Forerunner or a Oh, I don't know the names of all of them. Well, you got what, about, what about the Korean, the Korean brand? Not so much. No. Not so not, much. Not so Those much. are an okay car. If you want yeah. something fairly cheap to get into, you're not going to keep it too long. Right. If you want to buy a car, keep it a few miles, maybe 89,000 miles, and get rid of it and have no resale value, then and they're you, okay. That's basically a throwaway car is what I'm seeing on them. And, and they're coming up. You know, they're just starting out. They're just starting over into the luxury parts. Right. right. I'm, I'm kind of leery of stuff like, you know, the first couple of years of a model or something. Right. Just because they hadn't got all the bugs worked out. I wouldn't invest in one unless I were buying just to say, hey, I'm going to I want a car at a fairly low entry price with a lot of features. I'm going to run it for 80,000 miles. I'm going to dump it and get something else. You know, one just one little footnote. Back in 1968 and 1969, mm -hmm. we bought a Toyota Corolla and a Toyota Corona Mark II from C.L. Adams. Wow. Mm -hmm. Adams had the only Toyota dealership That's right. around. And, boy, those were just absolute workhorses. Oh, the yeah, only absolutely. Reason we, only reason we got out of them because we just outgrew them. Yeah. But, you know, it's managed to maintain that uh, quality over many, many, many years, and I think even improve it over the years. That, so. That's exactly right. And everybody is having issues with all the technology they're trying to bring out, and the marketplace is driving that. Whereas people want cars that talk and think and sync with their iPod and so on. And the more that junk you throw into a car, the more problems you're going to have with it. So everybody's having some issues with that. But I still think, in my opinion, that's the best game in town. Thanks so much. Okay. We'll see you uh, next week sometime okay. with, the, uh, with the Mercury guy. All right, Dan. Thanks, All right. man. Bye-bye.
right, 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive fire. And we got to take one more quick little break. Clark, you hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, president of AGCO, and I've got my lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, to us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Clark has been patiently holding. Good morning, Clark. Good morning, guys. I got a question about a 2000 Mazda MPV okay. van. Probably about three months ago, started losing power pretty bad, and took it in. I was out of town visiting, and took it in. I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, they told me it was catalytic converter. The code was coming okay. up. Yes, sir. Got $1,200 worth of work on that done. Uh-huh. It seemed to correct the problem. I was still having some issues mm-hmm. with, with power and things. So got it back down here, back home, brought it in, and... Ran a code on it again at a local mechanic shop here. Code came up as uh, P0106 as a boost sensor, EGR pressure sensor, mm-hmm. vacuum line. Does that, that make sense to you? Yes, sir. Clark, you got to kind of back up a little bit. What happens, unfortunately, is that a catalytic converter very, very rarely, if ever, just goes bad. Okay. Something causes a converter to go bad. Right. Either it's getting contaminants in it, it's getting too much fuel in it, something caused the converter to go bad. Now, if you go in and you put a converter on there, what you're doing is you're treating the symptom and not treating the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, that boost sensor could be caused by the converter starting to plug up again because what it's saying is that the intake manifold vacuum is too high and it's flowing back out of the EGR tube. So the last thing in the world you want to do is go put an EGR valve on it, because not only is it not going to fix it, but it's chance you're going to cause another problem. You, you answered my question because that EGR valve is about three hundred bucks. Well, yeah, so. and probably not that, because like I said, if the converter is starting to stop up again because you've got an engine misfire, which is why your power is down. Well, it, all you did is you use the first one to get home, and then the extra gas going to convert burns the second one up. Well, the pressure starts to go up in the exhaust system. It's going to come back out to the EGR valve. It's the only place for it to come, and it'll set the EGR code. Gotcha. So you're going to need to get that to somebody who knows what they're doing, have them diagnose it. I guarantee you, if you find your low power problem, then you're going to find your problem with your catalytic converters and so on and so forth. Okay. But converter is almost always a symptom of another problem. If you just okay. put a converter on a car, you're almost always going to be coming back doing it again in short order. Yeah. I just recently came across your radio show, and I was wanting to get your uh, your information about your shop and things, and uh, probably going to drop it into you. Yeah, just go to the website. It's agcoauto.com. Man, got every piece of information you'd ever want to know about us right, right there. All righty. Thank you, sir. Okay, man. Thanks, Clark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, 499-9526. A number of you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. We're going back to lines with Dennis. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Lewis. How you doing today? Doing great, sir. I just bought a 2006 Ford Econoline 150. Uh-huh. Okay. The only thing I found wrong with it is at nighttime when you put the lights on, mm-hmm. the little red pegs that show you your different gauges light up, but the white part around that to show you what the gauge is signifying is not lighting up. Okay. My question was, Normally, would that be an easy fix with just a dashboard part with a speedometer and all that? This yeah, out? it's almost never an easy fix, Dennis. Let me ask you, is it just some of them that are out or all of them that are out? All four of them are out. And there's none of the gauges light up at night? No, sir, none. Now, the, well, the tachometer and the speedometer light up. Okay, the, the well, then some don't. of them do. If some of them do, then most likely it's going to be the little LEDs in the instrument cluster are burned out for whatever reason. If none of them lit up, I would be looking for something like the wire that goes from the switch or from the body module. It's actually got a lighting control module on that one that grounds all those things and turns them on. So the way you would have to diagnose that is to probably go to the what they call the general electronics module and see if you got a feed to the dash. If you got feed to the dash, the next thing is pull the instrument cluster out and see if you got burned bulbs. Those little bulbs are not sold separately. However, we can actually change them for you by going into the motherboard, unsoldering them, and I've got a source of the bulbs. Generally, we can we can replace them. Ford doesn't sell the bulbs separately. They sell you another dash panel. Oh, boy. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you very much oh, for your time. Okay, sir. Dennis. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Alright, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, I think we got time for maybe one more quick little call. If you can get, get it in here real quick. That's right. Get it in pretty darn fast. So those lights mm-hmm. used to be you could take the dash panel out, take and reach and undo the light, mm-hmm. change the bulb and put it back in. But like you were saying, they are now soldered into the motherboard. Yeah. Just like the rest of the components on the it's board. It's a little tiny, tiny LED. LED type bulb as opposed to a regular light bulb like you would think about it. And I've actually got a source on those that we use on General Motors cars. We rebuild the dash on the GM cars. Right. I think the same one will actually fit a Ford product. But it's not a matter of just going in there and taking a light bulb out and changing it. No, not uh, anymore. If you're pretty handy, electronically speaking, and you can do some soldering and desoldering without damaging anything and all that, then you could probably get by doing it if you can find the bulb somewhere. Right. That's going to be the next big problem. But what you want to do before you go start pulling the instrument cluster out is a little bit of detective work to make sure you're getting a signal from the general electronics module. Correct. Because that could also be something as simple as the little rheostat turned down all the way on the dash or the ambient light sensor not working properly. Right. Telling it to turn off. Correct. So you don't want to go yanking the dash out For before no you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week also. That's right. Tell your friends and get some more people listening. Yeah, for go us. to iTunes and give us a rating if you don't mind. That really makes our day when you do that and also kind of boosts us up in the ratings where more people can hear us and find us and find us. <laughs> there you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.